This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Fizzy Coca-Cola Yeah, I've got to put it in water. This you can hear me stirring it. A game changer. Obviously, don't abuse drugs. I would never encourage anyone to abuse drugs. But if you do need coca why not have it fizzy? Can, do they do it? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I've got coffee and cocodamol. Sounds like a shit blur song, doesn't it? <laughs> it really does, yeah. yeah. Oh, blur. So it's oh, anyway. I didn't get tickets, um, which is quite annoying. I don't know. No? Why I did, you yeah. tried? Um, I I, well, it sold out on the first day. Unless I go the other day when no one I know is going. Uh, but yeah. If, any, if, any, if this makes the pod and anyone's going to the second blur day, tell me. Mm. Uh, they were well expensive, though, the tickets, weren't they? Yeah, but, yeah. It's, it's going to be the last time you're going to see them, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, this Rockaway Beach weekend I'm going to next weekend, 400 quid for a chalet. There's three of us. Can't mm. go wrong. Self-catering. I'm going to take That's me slow good. cooker. Take me slow I, uh, cooker. Some pillows and a quilt. And yeah, I, um, I'm going to, to download next year. Are you? Yeah, all four days. Damn. Oh, I'm I'm looking at going to Hellfest in France because yeah. uh, the, the the lineup is outrageous. Um, but this month, um, my mates, they're in a ska band, uh, do pretty well for themselves, called Random Hand. I'm going up to Leeds for their 20th anniversary weekend. Uh, oh, wow. So, so that'll be good. So 24th of January. I bet I miss a Palace game as a result. But... Almost did you, um Did you see Leeds away kit yesterday? That was horrendous. No. It was awful. Like this green thing. Um, mm. Yeah, and I'm missing Southampton. I always miss Southampton games. Oh, it's not the worst thing in the world, is it? Though? No. There was quite a few people going, can I be bothered? Um, yeah, I mean, look, you know, quid, so. I mean, unless you're, you're DR and you're going to watch James Ward Prowse, you know, what's the point? <laughs> that's, that's all it comes down to, really, isn't it? But yeah, uh, as you mentioned, Nick, it is 2023, isn't it? That's um, quite a disturbing thing. Um, I, I don't really drink much anymore, but I, I had a, a few last night, and I'm now enjoying the, the hangovers that happen. I mean, Nick, obviously this is a while ago for you. Mike, I think this is still to come for you, but the hangovers in your 40s? Are, um, they get worse. A lot of it's down to your blood type, I heard, about how your bad your hangover is. Yeah. Well, I think mine is B positive, and I'm definitely not that today. 
I, um, I'm B positive as well. So you so tell me. T- really? Yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> we better have a happy pod then. If, if, if one of us has a bad accident, then the other two can step up. Um, yeah. So you're telling me that I've, I'm just going to go downhill very quickly? So. Yeah. Yeah, massively. Yeah. Yeah. It'll just... How long does a, a hangover last you now? Don't give away too much information. I don't really get them. I mean, so oh, this, this, this morning I took the kids to Weatherspoons for breakfast and had a pint. Um. <laughs> That's why you don't get them. Yeah. You don't stop drinking. That's 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 cheating. It's some just storing them up. Um. Anyway, I don't know how to record a podcast anymore, so um, I'm just no. going to try and do something. No, we yeah, we 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 haven't done one in about fifty years, have we? So let's um, no let's give it a go. It's, yeah, it's good we didn't didn't attempt to come back for the film game, wasn't it? Because <sighs> we will. I'm sure we've got some feedback on that, so we can hit that early on. So yeah, yeah, why not? Then? You'll have a lot of feedback at the Download Festival. Mm. There you go. And that's that's the first one of 2023. Thanks, Nick. Yeah. Look forward to <laughs> many more of them. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hello and welcome to Back of the Nest. It's the Match Report. I'm Chris Hambling and with me is Mike Scott and Nick Gillard. Hello, gentlemen. Oh, hey! We don't know how to podcast anymore, so we're just gonna kind of crack on and uh, and, and and do something. But it's off the back of obviously a two uh, 0 victory against Bournemouth, a very uh, welcome win. When you look at the fixtures we've got coming up um, over the next few games, uh, and also when you think about the performances we've been putting in of late, uh, particularly the first game back against Fulham, uh, which again we'll talk about. I just think, yeah, you know. It was it's probably the perfect game for us, really. Um, so, look, it's um, yeah, time for a, to a little bit of news first and foremost um, before we get into talking about the game itself. Um, so, major sort of thing that happened over the Christmas period. Um, well, kind of this this part of the Christmas period, if you like, was Killian Phillips leaving the club to join Shrewsbury uh, Town on loan. A uh, player who played a little bit around the first team squad in pre-season because we obviously had an interesting pre-season with, uh, with the split of certain players and things like that. But look, it was, um, you know, he was one of the players who, who came out of that period with a lot of credit, played extremely well, only been with the club a year or so, um, but looks a, a very talented player and hopefully get some decent game time at Shrewsbury and kick on because it's really important to you know to start playing senior football to start you know pushing other players for for places in a team who are you know that's their livelihood they're further down that pyramid you know he's only starting on his in his footballing journey and those people are going to fight him tooth and nail for those that position in hopefully central midfield or he can play center back as well but a really impressive player gets a lot of goals for the for the, the 21s and um yeah, um, I, I just obviously wish him all the best. Any any thoughts on that, Mike? Yeah, uh, it's, it, I mean it's great, isn't it? Um, as you said, the under t- under twenty threes. Um, I called it twenty ones. Is it twenty ones? I thought it was twenty ones. Now, sorry, yeah, under twenty ones. Yeah, um, oh, okay, you're, right, you're not going to you're not going to get the same level of like bedraggled aging uh, ex uh, Premier League professional kicking kicking the bits out of you so um that's what he's got to look forward to and that's, that's what he needs <laughs> exactly right yeah yeah nick um 
different challenge, isn't it, in 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 League One, as Mike has said. Um, he mentioned, well, sorry, he, he it was mentioned on the website. He's got seven goals in nineteen games at under twenty one level, um, but he's, he's he's trying to push on. And obviously, League One's very different. We haven't been there for a while, but some of the clubs that that, that we dislike immensely have had to had to play at that level, and it it's not an easy level, is it? Well, you've only got to look at how the under-23s did last season in the Papa John's in the first mm. game. Was it against Wimbledon or Sutton? And um, it was definitely boys against men then. Yeah. So, I mean, that was League Two. So that, that was probably worse up. than the, the Fulham game, actually, thinking about it. Because <laughs> we, we had all 11 men for the game. And um, that was a tough watch, I tell you. Uh, yeah. I'm great going to that. Here's the ground ticked off, though. Come on. I, I'm from Sutton, so I've been there. Many a time before. Oh, that's true then. Gander Green Lane. There you go. So what you're saying is entirely pointless and um, and a waste of your life. So Yep. <clears throat> Never mind, eh? Right, so um moving on with um you know, three lots of, of sad news really. Um obviously with the games are gonna start to ramp up now, the World Cup's over. I didn't watch a second of it by the way. Um I did I did boycott it. I'm very uncomfortable with it as a concept. Um that, that was being held in that location and, and you know uh, I, I appreciate that people like to separate political views and um, and, and sport and all that kind of stuff. And, and good on you if you could, but I, I didn't feel that I could. So I didn't watch a second of any of it. Um, but, um, you know, we're, we're getting back to, to football. But it seems like we've had a kind of glut of, of, of really bad news. And, um, you know, Palace were not spared that in terms of, well, the most recent announcement I'll, I'll start with, which is, of course, Former Palace goalkeeper John Jackson, uh, often nicknamed uh, known as Stonewall, um, not old enough to have seen him, but but old enough to have, have heard an awful lot over the years. And, and for many people of that vintage, you know, they talk of him as as the best Palace goalkeeper ever. And when you think of the likes of, of Nigel Martin and, and Julian Spironi and uh, probably various others, as you go, Kalinko, Kalinko, of course. Uh, <laughs> Um, yes, uh, Cedric Bertlin. Um, uh, I actually saw him play, but for Orient. Oh, really? But my dad said that he, well, Orient say that he's been their best ever keeper. Mm. And uh, my dad saw him play quite a bit uh, in the days with Lazarus and whatever. And he said he was yeah. unbelievable. And he, my dad actually said Nigel Martin's almost as good as John Jackson. So that, that shows you how good he is. Oh, wow. There you go. I think, you know, a lot of people say he was really unfortunate that he was a strong set of England goalkeepers at the time, um, uh, or you know, otherwise, otherwise he would have been an absolute, um, you know, definite for, for for international recognition as well. And look, reading people's memories and, and looking at stuff, I, I I was really sort of taken by the story of him playing one game for Ipswich, um, where he'd been retired for I think it's either five years or three years, something like that. Uh, and came out of retirement during a keeping crisis for Ipswich. Both their keepers were injured. So he turns up having not played professionally for a minimum of three years. I think it was probably longer. Uh, yeah, yeah, at the age of 40. Um, plays in this absolutely vital game where they beat Man United, I think, 2-1. And I think it was Bobby Robson uh, at the time. And he said after the match, he said, we had to pay him a year's salary, but he's earned it for those saves. And that, you know, you think about that as as a, you know, as, as something that, that, you know, you do it at 40 years of age, having been retired from playing professional football for that long to come in and, and turn out a performance like that. You just think, 
you know, there, there must have been something very, very special about the guy. So, really well, sad news. Gloves, did he? So his hands weren't twice as big like the keepers are now. So, well, there you, you go. Know. Yeah, he had to deal with regular human hands. And um, yeah, so obviously terrible news um, that, that that he's passed on. Um, you know, uh, but but obviously thoughts with with family and, and friends and and those you know for whom well, I've seen many on on the message boards and social media for whom he was one of, if not their favourite ever player. And, and it's hit some people pretty hard that, you know, you start losing all of your, your heroes, all of the legends, and it's um, it's quite a, a tough one to deal with. Um, another one, um, again, this, this this one off the pitch, but a really well-known um, person around Palace. And, and, you know, certainly people of our vintage know an awful lot about um, the, the sad passing of, of, of Maxi Jazz. Um, you know, obviously the insomnia is the, the the lyric and the and the song you go to instinctively but he did so much i was actually a, you know quite a big fan of, of faithless and you know i've had four or five of their albums and you know his his lyrics his performances were always absolutely top in that and um and a big reason why i i liked them and um i wouldn't say i necessarily listen to them too much anymore because i'm an old man but you know, his passing was a was a really shocking one because it kind of just came out of the blue. I didn't know if he was ill. Don't know anything about it. Just all, all it said, I think, is he you know died peacefully in his sleep. And but you just used to sort of see him around Palace. I'm sure you guys did as well. Just you'd be like, you know, he'd be lurking outside the main stand, just smoking something that smelt very interesting, um, chatting to people, and always a big smile on his face. And yeah, like a you know a really big part. Of, of the football club. So, um, yeah, uh, Nick, I'll a, give you a chance. Yeah. I mean, is there any truth in the rumor that the lyric, uh, out on the Heath tearing off tights with my teeth was Thornton Heath. It was, of course it was Thornton Heath. Yeah. And, um, of course those tights were, were, um, from, uh, from British home stores, of course, uh, not, not Albert's wide shoe store. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but, yeah. one, one of the bands i wish i'd seen but mm-hmm. uh never did but all all part of uh me growing up and, and definitely me raving days and i can certainly remember the first time hearing insomnia and it was just a, an incredible yeah. tune um, and that album that it came off was brilliant yeah yeah and um yeah just yeah and but every time they came back with something you know um it was it was really good um like mass destruction off of uh was it no roots that was that was you know a fantastic song and that was all about him anyway i'm not going to go on forever about that uh mike were you, were you a big faithless fan no i can't say i was but like you say i've seen him at seen him at the ground a few times um and it's always nice to spot someone like that just getting on as though they're a normal person it's mm. uh it's a shame i just want to add one other thing as well over christmas um one of my good friends, old flatmate, was in a front-on car crash, and uh, she hasn't regained consciousness yet from November the fifteenth. So, um, oh. hopefully, one day she shall hear this. <sighs> that's really sad. I'm sorry to hear that, Mike. Yeah, um, that's okay. yeah. It's not. It's not really the forum for it, but no, but but you know, um, yeah. That's again, it's never good to, for those things to happen. But a horrible time of year for it as well. Um, but there seems to be a lot of that about right now. As we go into 2023 with a sense of optimism, but we have um, obviously one more thing to to talk about in terms of of news, and I 
Nick, you kind of threw this one then in there um, because I, you know I was very Palace focused, but of course a major uh, passing in the world of football, and that was of course Pele. Yeah, who is head and shoulders above Ronaldo and Messi in my eyes. Again, I only saw him play for New York Cosmos, not live, but on the telly. And, you know, invokes teams like Cosmos and Tampa Bay Rowdies. And even then, he was the man who kind of invented the step over and all the trickery and stuff. But on and off the pitch, he was just a top, top bloke. And he actually changed football and the way it was played. And I think the way it was viewed and the way that players were viewed as well. Um, the first real kind of superstar, I'd imagine. And there wasn't anybody that I know who didn't like him. And listening to all the tributes on Five Live and whatever, just everybody, I know you, you always say good things about people in the past, but, but the, the genuine love for him and what he did for the game was, was just I don't know. Amazing. If, if Nigel Farage died, I know he's a Palace fan, but I wouldn't be saying anything nice about him, on it? No. Not yeah. Not at all. Yeah, all right. <laughs> but no, in all seriousness, like you, you, you always there's always like, especially with the really big names, like in the, not specifically in football, but in, in anything. But seeing as we're, we're talking about football, you know, really big names in football, you always do hear a little disparaging comment or a bad story here or there. But I've never heard one about Pele, you know, at all. I think the closest thing I, I could mention was a, a very amusing joke in the Simpsons where uh, he was, you know, Pele was advertising some weird thing like a toothpaste or something. And he just swaps the ball for a big bag of money and walks off and that kind of stuff. But I think that was more a comment on football, not really the man. Um, So I think, um, you know, I, I I have major regrets as a, obviously a massive football fan um, that, that I never saw him play other than in highlights and, you can't ever appreciate the real the real talent of a footballer unless you see them playing, you know, ninety minutes and watch everything that they do and how they how they you know carry themselves and how they move and how they interact with their team and all that kind of stuff. You never really get the full appreciation of how good they are. Um, so it's a real real shame I never got to do that. But and uh, he also played in the best kit ever. In the film Escape to Victory. I love that kit. I really love that kit. And he, he, he wasn't a bad actor. Mm. Um, Bobby Moore was in there, Sylvester Stallone in goal, and um, and played alongside John Walk in that film. And yeah, that I, yeah. I remember him more for that, actually. I've, you know, I've seen that film so many times now. Yeah, whenever anyone talks about Escape to Victory, I swear it sounds like a fever dream. Um, <laughs> where you're just like yeah John Walk was playing alongside Pele's Stallone in goal and you're like okay, okay. Michael Caine was the coach of course, yeah Caine was the coach yeah yeah all right course yeah 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 um but there you go I was, I was waiting for Escape to Victory to come up uh Mike any any thoughts on the sad passing of, of Pele I mean I've only ever seen footage on some grainy VHSs when I was a kid um sorry that's it, still about Pele is it <laughs> it is about just, just checking. Uh, I'd never, I've never heard of that film either. Um, yeah, it's. I mean, eighty-two, but it, it just died with his legacy totally intact. Um, didn't put a foot wrong. You know, it's not something you're going to be able to say about Ronaldo in a few years' time, is it? No, no definitely not. 
you mentioned in VHSs. I've just remembered the tracking on VHS tapes. <laughs> you don't you got, you got like a five-minute bit about VHS tracking. Well, no. Okay. Yes, no so, so can we go from VHS tracking to some comments about the Fulham result? Yeah, why not? Yeah. So uh, Ryan Delahunty was asked if mm. he'd love us to do a 90-minute watch-along of the full Fulham game. So, <laughs> um, okay. I didn't even manage 90 at the game. I left on 70, and I never so, do that. So obviously, it's on Boxing Day, so I had a really big decision to make because, as, as you know, I haven't been to many games in a, in a long while for a combination of reasons, and I'm trying to pick the moment I, I get back to it properly. And I'm like, and I looked at it and I was like, well, Boxing Day, look, no, everyone's like, you know, I hate Boxing Day games. Every time I go to a game on a Boxing Day, I, I, I tend to have a horrible time. I've either got a hangover and the result doesn't really cheer me up or, you know, I'm the only one without a hangover and the football's horrible and I have to kind of take it all in. Um, so I was just really sort of, it was almost a flip of a coin as to whether or not I went, I went back for the Fulham game. And in the end... I, I had too much to do like to because of a really boring story about my car going wrong that people on Twitter will know all about. In the end, it was too much too much of a problem to go. And, and I have to say, I sat and watched that game on Prime and, oh my God. I, I, I mean, I turned it off with 20 minutes to go. And I don't think I've ever done that. I don't think I've ever. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. Watched a Palace game and just gone, no, this is just not worth my time. Um... I've you know I've stayed in the ground for some stupidly bad games. I've been bored out of my out of my mind at so Sunderland. many matches. Did you last as long as Sunderland four 0 Yeah, I watched that whole game. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus. I um, remember particularly the one where most people were more interested in the pigeon who seemed to stay on the pitch a long time. You remember that one, Chris? That was, that was the most interesting thing about that game. can't remember. Yeah. It yeah, yeah. I can't either, but you're absolutely right. I do remember the pigeon. And that's Outside, <laughs> on 70 minutes, it was yeah. like the end of a game in the championship when we used to get crowds of 14,000, yeah. 15,000, and just so many people went. And there was that argument, oh, you should never leave, you should never leave. You know, stay no, till you... the end just so you can boo. But actually, I think it sent a, a message to the team yeah. everybody's left this early we're well, not right and trying to get a train actually we've left in disgust 
Well, let's let's have a comment from Leif Anderson's forehead then. Um, Happy New Year to to you all, he said as well, and obviously long time listener. So um, Happy New Year to you, Leif Anderson's forehead, the rest of Leif Anderson, and everyone else. Um, <laughs> do you think the team got a massive bollocking after the Fulham match and up their game, or were Bournemouth just absolutely dog shit? I mean, look. I'm going with both. Yeah, it's both. Look, you cannot put in a performance like that. Look, I mean, the thing is, Patrick Vieira deserved a, an absolute bollocking as well for, for, for that game. Yeah, he said after it, something along the lines of there was no sign of it in the training. Everyone trained really well. But you can look at the start of that the game against Fulham and look at the way they came out and played versus the way we came out and played. We played at 25% pace. You know, we, we didn't, we weren't on the front foot. We didn't, have anything like forward momentum at any point we like it was like we turned up we thought we trained really well for two weeks we're going to come in here we're going to play it's at sellers park we're going to play our own game and fulham are just going to lose because it's fulham and we're and we're palace and that's that's the end of it and they just did what a few teams have done to us recently and they just played at high speed on the front foot closed everything down and we just did nothing about it uh, and there was so much that went wrong. And, you know, we'll get into this today, I'm sure, uh, because there was a lot of criticism that went Vieira's way and, and and the players' way. And I think the players have to bear the brunt of it, if I'm being honest. But some of the team selection decisions and, most importantly, the mentality is wrong on too many occasions at the moment. We do have problems, and we have problems when teams are brave enough to put us on the back foot. And, and I don't like it. It reminded me a little bit of um, Holloway's last game, mm. um, just in how inept we seemed to be. And, and Fulham were right at the bottom. I remember the, them singing it as, how shit must you be? We're winning away at that Holloway game. And um, there were quite a few people calling for Vieira's head after that. And what was, un, what was really surprising was an hour before kickoff against Bournemouth, and other than Gay and for Tomkins, it's the same lineup. And we're thinking, what? What are you doing? But it was like, a, you know, notwithstanding Bournemouth, who seemed to be like us against Fulham last week, yeah. um, we were a whole different gravy, weren't we? Well, we were. And I think it's important to to not just talk about Fulham as well, is to look before the break and look at the performance against Forest as well. Look at those things collectively. Because that's where I think I have the biggest problem. We put in an absolute dog shit performance against Nottingham Forest. We really were poor. They were they were not a good team in, in any way. They didn't play play well on the day. Fulham played well on the day, and you know, obviously, we had ten players and nine players uh, through the course of that match. Um, but you know, on the on the day, Forest weren't great, and we just did nothing. And and to look at that game, so Vieira, you know, has looked at that game and said, okay, we got a lot to fix here. And then the other side of the World Cup has just gone and picked the same team, basically. And not, not even really changed anything. Like uh, even with you know, you can pick the same team and check and play play differently. Um, and I think he's got a real issue about you know overloading the the team with the kind of let's use the word mercurial talents if you like. He wants to, he wants to accommodate them all, and, and I do admire that to some degree. But he does it against you know some teams with like lesser reputations, and and I think. You know, sometimes you lose the game before you've even started when you do that. And I think that was the case against Forest, and it was very much the case against Fulham. I don't know why I said Fulham. 
I temper that by saying that we've now won three out of the last five. So mm. uh, Mercurial is all right when you get him three points and then zero points. You know the jaws of the jaws have dried up. So yeah. uh, you, we're further away now from the the bottom three than we have been all season. We're, we're pretty much dead between you know top four and bottom three. Yeah, um, and he'll probably argue and say when we're getting three points. You know, I mean the. The second goal against Bournemouth, absolutely mm. just that mercurial is what you put on the pitch, but you're going to get bits bits of genius like that, aren't yeah. you? And look, there's look, there's a some really good point. There's a really good point being made there, Mike. But I would just want to, and I hate to do it, I just have to highlight the the fixture list in all of this, right? Because. This this spell we've just been through, the winning three and five, it, it's good, okay. But we're going, you know, when you when you think about the fact that we we threw away points against Forest, okay, we we absolutely trashed by Everton. Um, you know, uh, we we haven't. You know, we've got the draw against Newcastle, draw against Brentford, draw against Leicester. You know, these this was the kind of the real moment for us to get points on the board and push ourselves a lot higher because we go into games now, you know, cup game against Southampton aside, it goes Spurs, Chelsea, Newcastle, Man United, Brighton, Brentford, Liverpool, and then you can go as far as Villa, Man City, Arsenal. And and think about that run. Um, you know, we're we're going to regret those those drop points. No matter I'm not saying we're gonna be sucked into a relegation battle or anything like that but i'm saying in in eight games time we're going to regret the absolute just dirge we've we've churned out against fulham against everton and against forest i think those were games we've really let ourselves down in and 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 we should could we could and should have done better do you think that um the league's getting harder every season so to actually finish 11th one season is better than almost better performances than finishing 11th mm. the season before because the teams are getting better. And, and you look at the managers. I mean, I know Villa have got Unai Emery in and Tottenham looked very poor against them today. Mm. Um, but just that different manager with the same players has made a real, real difference. And, and Fulham were actually good. I'm not going to take anything away from them and say that we were poor and made them look yeah. good. They actually looked really good. And they looked quite good against Southampton yesterday, albeit with Ward Prowse scoring an own goal, which pleased DR a lot. But yeah, it's it, it there are no there are no easy games anymore. Maybe Bournemouth is the only easy game, I don't know. Mm. I think I think that's there's a lot of truth in that. Um but look we'll we'll I'm sure we'll come back to it. Um and we're just, you know, dragging it back to the Bournemouth game itself and you know, Mike, you made the point a while ago before the ranting happened, um, you know, that it was a bit of both and that, of course, Bournemouth were poor. Um, but it was a much better Palace performance as well. But, you know, if you if you had to kind of summarise how bad Bournemouth were, um, you know, how would you? <laughs> I mean, let's, let's look at the stats um, from... Who scored? I mean, we can go over the stats for the Fulham game and they are depressing. They had eight shots for each of our one. So, um, but yeah, I mean, <clears throat> they had they had more possession, did very little with it. Um, they had six shots. We had 15 where we, we managed four in the entire time against Fulham. Obviously, we had 10 men and then nine, like you said. Um, 
But we were way down on aerials um, against Fulham, back up to sort of parity there. Way more tackles than Bournemouth, and I think that was that was a big thing. A ton of corners, obviously scored both of them from corners. Um, I think that the the back four were very strong, albeit that they created very little. Um, it just shows the difference between Mark Gaye and, and Tompkins, who I think has just dropped off the cliff. Um, Ward's behind, um, you know, it's just a floating front three, but Ward and Zahar always work together well. So overlaps from Ward, you hardly ever see that. Um, so it was a nice fluid front three and middle three. Um, and that was that was the main difference, I think. You know, apart from what you said earlier, in that they just put in a proper shift in a way that it didn't look like they did against Bournemouth. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I really think as much as Bournemouth didn't create a lot, they were kept quiet as well by, you know, a, just a really solid, fluid front six. There was a lot of difference in the way we played as well. Fulham, the Fulham game, it was lots of passing round and passing back to the goalie. But uh, Gator was actually playing more longer balls, I thought, against Bournemouth when perhaps he should have done against Fulham when they were doing the high press. But the problem is when you've got Zaha as your, as your front man, or the focal front man, you haven't got anybody to aim the ball at like you would have done with maybe Benteke or, or Glenn Murray who could receive the ball and hold it up. And we needed to, to get the ball out against Fulham um, when we weren't. And I think that was a big difference in the way that we played. Yeah, I think that you. I think that you know Vieira would probably rightly point to the the execution from the players against Fulham and say that you can if you if you have you don't have to hit it like long and in the air to Zaha. Well, you can hit it long and in the air, but it's in the channels for Zaha if he's playing up top on his own. So you just hit the channels. You don't hit the head. You don't hit the try play it into chest or whatever. And he's a strong player. You know, if you if you play it the right way, you play it to feet or you play it for him to run onto. You can play a long direct game, but. You know, going back to Fulham, we we just more than two passes and we'd lost the ball. You know, the the direction on the passes, the pace on the passes, everything seemed to be behind people. Everything seemed to be a pass to somebody to put them into trouble, and it, and it was just awful. And there was pe- there were players in that in that game, and and two of them I will pick out, and I usually do pick them out, and I will preface it to saying that. Jordan Ayew and Jeffrey Schlupp had really good games against Bournemouth. Um, I think Schlupp actually played a really simplistic game against Bournemouth. He, he was disciplined. He sat. He concentrated on his positioning and his defending more than anything. And it made a huge difference because there was no moment of jogging around. There was no moment of not following runs. There was no moment of giving up, chasing back. He just was very, very disciplined and a little bit deeper than, than usual. So I think, you know, that, that was a big difference. But against Fulham, the type of passes that it was one spell prior to Mitchell getting sent off very early in the game where the ball was played into Jeffrey Schlup and he just immediately wanted to get rid of it. So he just plays it out to, to Tyreek, who's basically standing on the left-hand side of the pitch on the line. And you're just like, what are you doing with that ball? Like, what, what are you hoping to achieve like that? You can put your foot on it, you can turn, you can play it back for a different angle. But by playing it to somebody who's got nowhere to go you know that's that's why it breaks down and we did that so much against Fulham and it was really different in this game the, the kind of the attitude the, the the movement the playing for each other never selling anybody short was so different in this game 
Um, and yes, a lot of it was because Bournemouth, Bournemouth sat back. But I want to I want to mention as well that you know the lineup when it came in. We, I'm not going to be revisionist about this. I, I thought that once again we'd we'd just seen the the kind of cop out of the kind of the the worst possible thing of of just not making anything other than enforced changes. Obviously, Ward coming coming in at left back for Mitchell. Mitchell suspended. You know, Gay coming in for for Tompkins. Tompkins suspended. We you know frankly we're awful defensively unless we have. Gay and, and Anderson playing together as centre backs, that you know you can change the rest of the team, and frankly, it's you know relatively interchangeable. But those two have to play for us to have any hope, in, in my opinion. Going on to the Tyreek thing, um, he's got no competition in that position, has he? Really? Yeah. Well, so did does you that s- does that make a difference to the way yeah. he plays? Do you do you see Vieira's comments about this? I didn't know. He was talking about. Um, you know, backing and he's, he talked in the summer about needing more players. He's talked in, that he needs more players in this window, and he specifically mentioned that there weren't, there's not enough players um, giving competition in some areas. And obviously, that has to be in the fullback positions. You know, specifically at left back, there is no real alternative to Tyreek, and he does need a player pushing him. You know, because he has had very inconsistent form, but. Um, but you know when you when you look at the changes that we made i think everybody ends up in the same place i think it's right in, i'm right in saying and that is center and midfield um because it's not one of those things people say we need new central midfielders but do we you know sorry mike go on. uh i'm just going to bring out some, a couple of comments then on that yeah so andy the twat uh, again yes. listener we are one midfield sign away from totally dominating games. Imagine if Gallagher was in midfield with Eze and Dekure. And then slightly off topic, well, I'll bring it up as well. Oh, why do people have these names? I say Ezel's vibe. Thank you, whoever you are. Um, <laughs> you, you thinking we'll see IU at the number nine position for any other Premier League games. So just those two points. So I do, I, that's, I'm glad that one's in there because I do, did want to address that actually. But, um, but yeah, well, um, Nick, what's your view on it then? The, the, the question, the statement was we're one central midfield signing away. Imagine Gallagher. And we, we certainly tried to imagine Gallagher as a club in the summer, uh, but we didn't get him. Yeah, and we've got to think of the central midfield players we have that have also been leaders. I'm talking about people like Jedinak and the French guy whose name escapes me, but was very, very good and very handsome. And we didn't realise how much you missed him until he wasn't there. Goodbye. Goodbye, that's it. Did you really no. forget Yoan Goodbye's name? Interesting. I'm getting old, man. Oh, you know yeah, I mean? yes, yeah. I've just had some cocodamo as well, which isn't helping. Um, so, yeah, we're, you know, somebody to put the foot foot on the ball and distribute it and and lead and, and G other players up and I, I still don't think we've properly replaced Melee. Okay, you, you could say that Milivojevic fills that role a little bit, but he was getting uh, slated quite a lot and you, you do wonder, a lot of other people are saying, well, let's get Hughes in there with his doggy determination, his terrier-like ta- tackles and, and getting in and riling other players up. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that during the last transfer window, we, we spent too much time trying to get Gallagher without looking at other people 
in case we didn't get him. And uh, I know Ruben Loftus Cheek is uh, is rumoured to be out of Chelsea soon, so I don't know whether we'd look at him. But yeah, we we do seem to have somebody in that midfield missing. But you know, Decore is going to be one of the first names on the team sheet anyway. And as is either Eze or Elise, depending on who you want there. But, you know, Eze would be better sort of as the number 10. But, yeah, somebody in front of the defence marshalling and mm. and just being there and getting at it. You know what I mean? We we, we seem to lack that a little bit. Erdl, Erdl Rackett, surely. Yeah, Erdl Rackett. What's he, do, what's he doing now? Uh, probably a postman. But, right, the... Um, the, look, the the problem with it is is, is until we've so if I'm, I'm kind of thinking from a bit of devil's advocate here, right? Obviously, if a player of Gallagher's type was available that can give you that level of quality um, and be that real box to box player and and make that difference in the team, um, you'd you'd go get them. But we actually, you know, we're playing differently now. You know, we've we've decided that you know you talked about Eze in the ten row. That's exactly where he was yesterday. Played the closest player to our number nine, Jordan Ayew, playing central yesterday. A lot of interchange of positions, of course. Um, but, you know, that's where he spent the majority of the game. You know, Will spent the majority of the game left side. Uh, at least, say, majority of the game right side. And then you had the Kure and Schlupp sitting as a, as a midfield two. And that's what we have to do. You know, we've had Ayew playing out wide right. And we've had... At least say sitting in there in, in central midfield, and you know, and then some other combination of players, and it doesn't really work. You know, the centre, central midfield without a Gallagher who's doing the work of two players, basically. You, you know, we have to have we are, you know, we're the team we are, the the players we have. We need to have two players sitting and screening, and, and you know, De Cure and Schlupp did it very well against Bournemouth, but you know, to me, they are not good enough uh, as a pairing to do it. Against uh, against the better teams in the league and and Decoure on his own and quite often it has been him on his own is is fantastic but he needs somebody with him and you know I'm in the camp that can't understand why Will Hughes hasn't been tried I I saw somebody I think it was Nav on Twitter yesterday or maybe the day before talking about you know Hughes has not done enough in games when he has been given a chance and he's not not put himself about not made enough challenges not worked quite hard enough but you have to give people a run of games and if we're not going to spend money and generate it like it sounds like we're not I think it's a waste to not be trying to give Hughes a bit of a run in the team and for me he should have played in the last three games but potentially Luca might be the better foil for for Decore but even then you have to try it and for whatever reason we're persevering with Jeffrey Schlupp who has frankly one acceptable game in every three if we're going to play the kind of way we played against Bournemouth, where we're, when we're going forwards, um, we're most effective at pace and we almost navigate straight from defence to attack. And we've got get decent defenders for that. Obviously, everyone knows about Anderson and his long ball skill sets. So if we're going to go that route, then I think two defensive midfielders probably works because we don't need them to be quite as creative, in which case Will Hughes is perfect. And when he came on, he looked very solid and he ran with the ball a bit. Um, so I'd put him above Milivojevic. I can't honestly see us getting too much. In, you know, January transfer windows are always disappointing. I can't see us getting anything that's going to be straight into the first team. I'd be stunned if we did. So it's all about 
Vieira ensuring that we just play very fast on the break. We've got the right players for that. And then just have two defensive midfielders hanging out in front of what's quite a porous defence. That I mean, that seems to me the, the best way to go. We do miss Jimmy Mack, don't we? I know he's, this would, if he was fit, this would probably be his last season for us, you know, being in the, the twilight of his career. But, but he's everything that we want Will Hughes to be, isn't he? Yeah, it's a really good point. You know, again, he's, he's forgotten because he's been out so long and there's no real, much, not real any talk of him of him coming back anytime soon. So, um, you know, you, you wonder if he's perhaps played his last game for Palace at this rate, but I hope not. But yes, ex- exactly. When we did rely on him and, and at times he was one of those who he didn't quite appreciate just how good he was until he wasn't there. But um, but yeah, again, somebody we, we haven't replaced really, but... We we thought, you know, when we signed Will Hughes, we thought that, okay, he's the up, like MacArthur will play one last season and then Hughes will step in after, you know, being a being a bit of cover for him in the first season. Hughes will come in after that. And yeah, I just, you know, I, I it's, it's not one I get, not one I really understand, but um, it's, it's again a topic we've talked about before and something we'll certainly come back to. But look, we, you know, we won the game. We did, we, we played really well. Um, 2-0, both goals coming from corners. Um, so look, I mentioned obviously that are you played centre forward and, and I appreciate the question. Would we ever see that again? Honestly, I, I think we should, um, if we're going to pick him and we do pick him for his work rate and we do play, you know, we did play a really good fluid system against Bournemouth where at times he was able to move back over to the right and cover fullback. At times he dropped into to central midfield to add an extra body there. And Wilf came across and it, you know, and at least they got to Rome a little bit, and as they got to Rome a little bit, it worked really, really well. So, you know, there's there's absolutely no reason not to try that again. But I have to say that first of all, fifth goal in ninety five games. I heard mentioned in the when rewatching the highlights. No what No what Surely not. He must have scored five against West Ham. Um, I don't think I think he's played more than that but I don't know I'm gonna maybe maybe that's Premier League goals I don't know I'm gonna have a look while you're talking I I, did hear that that on the commentary and I still think that he's very underrated IU I really do Um, just because of his work rate but he's good on the ball he's good at holding up the ball he's good at taking on players Um, did he have a tear in his eye like he did against Grimsby when he scored yesterday well, potentially, let's call it the let's call it the rain. Look, I think. Um, look, I, I like J- Jordan Ayew, right? I do, I do like Jordan Ayew. I, I, I think he's um, he's been a good player for us, um, and and as you say, he's often underrated. But but what I would add to that is that Jordan Ayew is. I don't want to, I, it could be a, it's a horrible way of saying it. I was going to say Jordan Ayew is an underachiever. But what I mean by that is, is his, the way the performances um, on a consistent basis don't make the most of, of the talent he has. Like you say, Nick, he could dribble past a player. He's got a good bit of pace. His work rate's fantastic. He's got a fantastic touch. Doesn't shoot enough. Doesn't pass crisply enough. Turns inside, goes backwards too much, doesn't back himself anywhere near enough. I think there's so much more in there, and I just don't know why he's never—not never, but I don't know why he hasn't been able to 
produce the kind of outstanding performances that I think personally he has been capable of. So I think there's certain situations where not having a number nine works really well and the fluidity against Bournemouth was was very effective, um, albeit Mateta came on and if he'd put his chances away, he would have scored a couple. But yeah, I mean, it's, so the, looking at the stats, this season he's played in all 16 uh, league games, three of them as a sub, and he's, this is his first goal. Uh, last season, he played 31, including eight as subs. He scored three. Season before that, 33, including 10 subs and scored one. So that's five in three seasons. Before that, 2019-20, um, he played in 37 games and he scored nine. It's to say he got nine in a season, didn't he? So their stats are probably wrong. Five in the last three uh, seasons is where it, they've come from. I think my math, so 33, 31, so 64, 74, 80 games. Yeah, 80 games, five goals. Yeah, I think I think half the problem is when we when we got him, we expected him to be more of a goal scorer, but actually he's more of a team player that can mm. allow others to score. Is that because of that fucking Swansea game? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, um, but look, I, I do have to say, like, I want to talk about the goal very quickly. Um, I found it really odd, and, I, and I'm going to say uh, I put it in my notes so you guys know what I'm going to say. But it, I'm going to say it was some must have been something that the the team had worked on in terms of the set piece that they'd no obviously Bournemouth have a terrible record even worse than us in terms of conceding set, set pieces I think um certainly conceding from corners and I'd noticed that um you know that, that he walked <laughs> he walked onto it like the last bit of the movement was him sort of a quick a quick sort of dart and a jump to head it in but in the in the as the as um was it Eze took the corner, I think it was. Um, as he's running up to take the corner, Jordan Ayew is just walking, and he's just walking away from the defenders, and no one goes with him. And he just slowly walks into position, and it suddenly jumps and heads. And he's just like, no challenge, no one went with him. Was it he just walked so casually that no one thought to go with him, or is this a kind of zonal marking thing that Bournemouth are doing? And no one, he was just so slow, he didn't go he into the right zone. Five for eight, Jordan Ayew just just. Mm. Being being the target for a header, I suppose as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, it was it was pitiful. I mean, if if that was Palace defending, we'd be spending ten minutes moaning about that goal, wouldn't we? I mean, yeah, for sure, horrific. Um, it might be they thought he's only scored five in ninety five. It's not bother. Yeah. It's not bother. It did well, you know. Frankly, it looked like they didn't bother. Um, and look, the the second goal um, is a, it's a much better goal. I mean, you you could still find a lot to criticise with Bournemouth if you wanted to, but the execution of that goal was fantastic. So it's obviously Elisa taking this one. Um, the the low pass from, from the corner to into Eze's run, um, you know, it's only had to take a couple of steps and hit it. So the pass is not only perfectly directed, it's perfectly weighted. And the finish for, from Abir Eze is just astonishing. It, you know, you look at it and it, you think, oh, he's just passed the ball into the net. and and on first glance, you don't quite appreciate just how good a goal that is because there's a whole bunch of players there. You know, you, you hit that fractionally later or fractionally harder or fractionally softer. It The whole equation changes and, and that ball doesn't go in. It's just everything about that goal was perfectly executed and I loved it. He's a good player, man. He really hey, is. I, no need to say anything else. Just a really good... Well, there's two really good players there. Elise and Eze. Just 
talent wise astonishing do, do, um, do we miss a trick starting them both at the same time not having one of them coming on as an impact do you think because because that's what i was thinking earlier on when you were talking about lineups and stuff mm. is we haven't got anybody who can come on and change a game well that's again that's a broad statement and i and i don't necessarily know that's true i think we have a I, you know, I will still every week I'll bang on and on and on about the fact that we should be chucking a young player on. You know, I'd love to see us chuck JK Gordon on for 10 minutes, see if he can be that impact player. I'd love to, you know, Ozo was on the bench this week. Fantastic that these guys are making the squad and, and you know, being named as potential players in the Premier League. But you've seen Ozo pre-season and, and, and in the in the 18s and the 21s, he's you know, he's got the physicality for the Premier League already. You're not going to lose anything, really, if you, if you chucked him on for 10 minutes against Bournemouth. And those are the things I would like to see. So in terms of starting Elise and Eze in the same team, for me, you kind of have to now. And, and I appreciate that that's not always easy. Um, and that at times you might have to make a sacrifice and, and Elise might, is more likely to be the one would drop to, drop to the bench and be that impact sub. But I, I just think he's too good. Um, they're, they're both too good. And you have to try to build your team around getting them um, to to play um, and to to kind of you know work around Zaha and, and make the most of his ability. Uh, and that makes it tough for for other players because there's plenty of good good players on the bench like you know Edward and and Mateta who um, who aren't getting any game time at all really, about barring a few minutes at the end. Um. So yeah, I it's it's um. It's a tough one, really, uh, but I understand the question, Nick. But for me, you've you've got to, you know, you're going to pick and choose the games um, when you're playing the bigger teams. I think, uh, and and that might be something that we start to see over the next few games, where probably Elise will will, will drop out for a bit more solidity in midfield, um, or we'll switch to that back three thing we keep trying. Um. So look, there were a bunch of, of other incidents in the game that could be talked about. I have to say that the second half, it went quite quick, but I didn't I didn't potentially appreciate that it wasn't, you know, I, I called it quite dull in my notes. And that's probably really unfair. That's probably just that the game just felt dead uh, because we actually, uh, there was one fantastic save from Guaita um, when Solanke, Solanke had a really good chance. And I actually thought he played pretty well. Obviously, a player we were interested in a few years back and he chose to go to Bournemouth. Uh, didn't play very well for them in the Premier League previously and, and has spent a couple of years in the Championship working his way back up. Um, but he's a decent, decent player. Um, and I thought he looked really good for them. Um, but yeah, uh, Edward uh, and Mateta both had good chances after coming on as subs. Um, I think Mateta's right-footed shot... A little bit high, a little bit wide. It, it curled a little bit more. Would have been a fantastic finish. Edward tried to lift the ball over the keeper at close range. Again, good save there. So it could have been a couple more easily. And um, Zahar's shot that was just deflected as well. That was that's, yep, yep. Good point. There was a moment I'm sure you both picked up on it when Wilf picked the ball up, um, probably just outside his own penalty area, and just ran down the left hand side, just ran the length of the pitch. Um, just, just really good to see him carry the ball that far. Use strength so well, and he even, you know, got knocked off the ball once. Immediately won it back. 
And then he passed it inside after all that, a good, you know, 35, 40 seconds of being in possession of the ball, showing tremendous talent and strength, knocked it inside to Edward, who immediately fucked his pass up and made it just completely wasted all of his time and energy, which I felt very sorry for him for. Um, but that was another potential highlight for me. But there's not too much more I want to mention. So I'll throw it over to, to you guys. I'll start with you, Nick. Um, any sort of individual performances you'd like to highlight? I think they all played well. Um, like you said, Gaeta's save was excellent. Um, he's he's getting much better at coming for crosses. We used to talk about Anderson and his weakness was headers, and he seems to have um, sorted that lot out again. Um, was it Mike? Did you mention on Twitter about Zaha having the dirtiest kit at the end of the game, which showed how much yeah. he did? Yeah. Um, IU stood out quite a bit as well as getting the goal he he ran on it but it was, it was weird how we the two goal scorers were taken off for two strikers who couldn't really do it but you do wonder if if you know with 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 that front three and not an not an out and out striker whether we are missing a trick but you know each each game's different and Vieira will pick the team that he thinks is right for that game so mm. you know um, I'd, I'd imagine that Bournemouth were expecting Zaha to be down the middle with that lineup that was uh, that was yeah. put out, but he wasn't. So it's it's good, and like you said, we can interchange a bit up there now because we have got players that can play in, in a multitude of positions, which is which is fantastic. Mm. Um, Mike, I'm going to ask the same thing of you, but I'm also going to point out my uh, my dog is staring directly at me and stretching, which means she wants a walk, and it's made me realise we've talked far longer than I intended. Um, so uh, if we can uh, get your any performances that you wanted to particularly highlight, and then we um, we've got to stop for a for for a little special something. We certainly have. I'll tell you about that in a minute. Um, well, for me, I was really impressed with the back four. I thought that most of the stuff from Bournemouth came down their left hand sides, and Klein was great. And in all honesty, I think this enforced time off for Mitchell. It was a straight red, wasn't it? So it's going to be three games. Um, let's see what Wall down the left and Klein down the right can do because I, I was really impressed um, and the, the fluidity of it just meant uh, for me Zaha was the, the player of the match um, yeah I, I just when they don't quite know what's going to happen when things are being messed around like that he is the perfect man for it and yeah I, um, for me player of the game yeah I was uh, I was really impressed with Decore uh, I thought Mark Gay was excellent as well uh, just makes a makes a real big difference there, and and yeah, but uh, but like you say, Nick, you could have could have picked any out of there. Look, we've talked about the fact it's a it's a tough few games coming up, um, so I think those are really important three points for for us, and and you know again a good way to kind of banish the 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 last certainly the the the, the demons of that Fulham game. So, Mike, I'm going to hand over to you to to introduce uh, something um, hopefully a little bit special. It is a bit special, and let's hope the audio was good enough that producer Mike could clean it up. I had a listen, I think it was. So, uh, Chris Clark, uh, Cara, and myself, we went over to Cyprus in November, and the stars aligned, and we got to we got to meet Jason Punchin. So, we assumed that he still played for Paphos, because uh, I know there's some strong links between Paphos and Palace, and they've offered Palace fans, you know, reductions to go go and see them. It turns out that he'd actually swapped to uh, Anorthis Famagusta at the start of the season. 
so he now plays in Northern Cyprus and um, they were playing away in Limassol where we were on holiday. So he kindly got us into the ground and had a 10 minute chat with us. So um, we asked him how he's doing, you know, how he's finding life in Cyprus because it doesn't sound like he's got any plans to leave. Um, he's still in the top division over there. We got to see the game. Um, they, in fact, beat Limassol despite the fact that they weren't they're not doing particularly well in the league. He's had a short-term injury that he talks about, so he wasn't at, he wasn't in the game that he was there. Um, and yeah, he just gave us a very frank chat about life, um, how his kids are getting on, his golf handicap. So it's a nice little ten-minute chat with Jason Punchin, uh, led by Cara. Sweet. Nice. Well, that's the thing. We didn't know you moved from Paphos, so we came here. We're like. Well, at first, first of all, we noticed the Paphos game had moved, yeah. so then we were like, "Oh no!" Like all that, and then we saw that you moved teams, and then it worked out. So we've now named this holiday "Finding Jason Punchin" because we were like <laughs> <laughs> to move so much. Anyway, right, we'll crack on. So, um, thank you for meeting us. Um, we're about to head into a game. The the game we're about to see your your team is joint points. Yes, joint right. Points. So it's a big game. Yes, big game. Yeah. History-wise, it's a big game as well. Okay. Um, and North Sicily, a lot of people don't know, is the, the team from the land that got taken uh, from Augusta. Okay. So there's a lot of, I would say, the Cypriot people, they cherish this team a lot. Right. Iowa's a team that's a big history, been for many years, so many people know about Iowa. So it's a big game, and it's an important game in the season. Nice, nice. And you've been in Cyprus now since 2019? Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah, correct. And how have you found it? Tell us about football in Cyprus, life in Cyprus. I've really enjoyed it. I think the, the football side of it was a bit slow at the start because okay. not what I'm used to. But then you've got to look at the stage of the career you're at and what you've come here for. And then in terms of off the pitch, it's been fantastic for my kids and my family. But for me, the Cyprus League in terms of football has just got better and better year on and year on. And it's a better league than people think. Nice, nice. And you mentioned before we started recording that the fan atmosphere here is great. Can you tell us a little bit about that? For me, like I'm a... Palace, so I know the atmosphere, but <laughs> and right on cue, right on cue. For me, when you play these games, it's almost like you're playing at home all the time in Palace. Like, Northwest fans, they remind me a bit of Palace, but it's non-stop from the first minute to the last minute. And when you go to the teams like Iowa, they're playing today, their fans are the same. So it'll be, it's, it's a fantastic atmosphere, and you feel like you're playing football. <laughs> we just have to point out, we did not stage this, so that this would kick off at the time we asked that question. But I'm very pleased it's happening. Um, unfortunately, you are injured at the moment. Tell us a bit about that. How long are you out for? What's the What's the deal? I've uh, just done my hamstring. I'm only out for two weeks, so okay. so that's okay. Um, you know, and you I'm, definitely have not pulled a sickie so you can watch the World Cup. No, no. no, no. <laughs> <laughs> if I was pulling it, I think I'd have made it a bit longer so I could actually go there. <laughs> very good. All right, we will move on to Palace we'll just now. Just that. I wonder why I say you're great. Can you can you speak? Sagasica. Sagasica means slowly, slowly. So I understand a lot more Greek than I can speak. Yeah. I can understand when people speak to me, but I can't say a lot back. Are you doing your daily Duolingo to get it? It's, it's been a bit difficult because in Paphos, yeah. I was there for three years and everyone speaks English. Uh, and I came to the North and everyone speaks Greek as well. Yeah, man. Well, I mean, palace-wise, like, Paphos started a bit of a thing where they were like, oh, loads of palace fans can come and watch, man. Like, so... Um, have you been missing it? Have Palace fans come over? Have they done what we're doing here? Have they blagged you for some discussions and stuff? Like, have you seen many? No one's, no one's actually come what you've done. It's okay. the first time. But a lot of people have come saying they want shirts, they want to get tickets and stuff like that. So it's been good. You know, and Paphos generally can 
compared to like now I'm at a team in Larnaca, a lot of people do more go pathos English people. So, right, right. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, um, on a Palace level, it was Ian Holloway that brought you to Palace. Yeah. Um, but you've played under a number of managers at Palace, including Tony Punis, Neil Warnock, Sam Allardyce, Frank De Boer, and Roy Hodgson. Lots of very different characters. Um, any particular memories you want to you know, talk to Palace fans about from that? Different, you know, very different. Like, Pulis taught me a lot. I learned a lot from his system, worked really well for the way I played. Pardew come in and got better out of me in a different way. But then Sam got more out of me as a man, as a leader. There was diff- different, so many different. Holloway was a bit different at the time. You know, but I think I had a fantastic time at Palace, all different characters, different ways of thinking, but it's my home. And obviously your Palace career had you know, many memorable moments. Before we get on to the good stuff, I've got to ask you about the penalty at Spurs. What are your memories of that? Do you know what? To be honest with you, it was a bad penny. I, literally, as I went to take the penny, I looked down. The wor- I mean, I looked up, sorry. It's the worst thing you can do. But do you know what? The funny thing is, Tony Pudis come to me at half-time and he said to me, if you ever do that again, not the penalty, he said the way he reacted, your head went down and all that stuff, he was upset. If you do that again, you won't play. The next game, obviously, I played and then I scored, I think, three in four games. Wow. So he was, he was good. He was good. Yeah, didn't you score a penalty the next, the next week? The week before that, yeah. Oh, OK. And then moving on to other you know, memorable moments that are, that are more positive. I mean, Wembley's the big one. Um, you scored a goal that was worthy of winning an FA Cup. What are your memories of that day? It's a bittersweet moment, you know, because you never want to be on the bench, but it's part of the team game. But then also you look at, like, now I'm a bit older, I look at two things. In the first goal, I couldn't, should have really kicked Rooney and took a yellow card, and then he wouldn't, they wouldn't have went through to score. But there's so many things you look at. But I just look at it and say, well, for me, that squad that we had, the togetherness we had, the moments we was having in that season to get to that FA Cup final, that was testament of the squad and the players we had. Definitely. And it's clearly something that's stuck in the mind of fans. I mean, you've seen the Home South Fanatics have that banner that has, has you celebrating. It's even you know emblazoned on the side of the stadium now, so yeah, you, know, you are really part... You're still on the part... HF stickers, man. You're still uh-huh. on there. One of them I've got on my laptop, funnily enough. Uh, okay, <laughs> in, in terms of... Um, you're growing up. You grew up in Croydon. Yeah. You're an Arsenal fan. Yes, I'm I saying was. you were an Arsenal fan. Yes. <laughs> um, and obviously we now have Patrick Vieira as our manager. What are your thoughts on Vieira's coming to Palace? How we've been doing since? What we should be pushing for going forward? I think it's a fantastic fit, and I think the club's done really well in backing him, getting the players that he's got last season. I think he can only keep growing if they can keep building, building. I think Crystal Palace now has got to look at the years it's been in the Premier League to try and get into that Europe part. That's the reality. And you, and you think you think Palace, as a kind of with your experience of the um, being there as the club itself, you think that's where the club should be going. So not just the team we have now, but you think the club, in your experience, has that ability to push forward. hundred percent. You got to look at if you look at teams like Stoke, how long they had in the Premier League. You look at teams like Southampton. Okay, so longer traditional team, but Crystal Palace is starting to do that now. The training ground, they're building the infrastructure, they're ahead of times. They're starting to do stuff like that now. When you're doing that along with the Premier League success of being there so long, you've got to try and get up. And I think this. Team is more than talented enough to do that. Absolutely. One last thing, Arsenal for this season. Have you, are you confident? I think naturally there's going to be hiccups. I think the, I think it's going to be interesting after the World Cup how everyone comes back. How everyone's ready, the players are ready, are they ready to be continued? So that's going to be interesting. But I think they, again, Arteta, another one, went there, took his time to build his squad, get his players in that he wanted players out, and they're reaping the rewards now. Fair play to him. Amazing. Anyone got anything else? still in touch with any of the um, old players from the Palace days? Yeah, yeah, I still speak to loads of them. I still speak to James McCarthy, I still speak to Martin Kelly, Scott Dan, 
Danny the Kitman, Steve Parrish now and again. That lovely Ma- picture of you and Balassi yes, on holiday. Yes, me and Balassi are always in contact. <laughs> nice, nice. Yes, yeah. Wilf as well. So, yeah. And obviously you've got years ahead of you as a player, but what, have you got any plans for after playing? Well, I've just finished my A licence, my UFA. Nice. The pros are a bit longer because in, in Cyprus you have to be assistant coach for two years to get on the pros and a bit similar to England. So I think I'll do that path, but I'll go in the path of doing it in Cyprus. Lovely. So you're going to definitely stay yeah. here then? Yeah, I think so. I think it's, I think it's been... I'd be silly to upset my family. My kids are happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're all happy in their school. It's a lovely place. And you know what? I love football. Football's my life. And I think here, people don't... As a Premier League player, they don't give it enough credit for the level that actually is. Here. Yeah. We know generally the infrastructure's a bit behind and stuff like that. But in terms of when you play the games, it's top. It sounds... A lot. Yeah. <laughs> that was a firework for listeners' uh, benefit. Um, it sounds like you've got a real balance here, and you're really valuing the balance you've got here—not just of the football, but of life as well. How important do you think that is for kind of coming? I don't want to say coming towards the end of your career, but but you know, in the later stages of your career, to get that balance, so there's not just that kind of, some kind of stop of football and then yeah. a new life kind of. I thing. think it's, I think you you really got to be careful of it because I spoke to a lot of players that find they have a lot of mental issues afterwards when they stop and they don't go into this or or that and they stop football they're in different transition I've sort of been in that transition mode for a little while you know but I think here for me in a, on another note as well it's been good but I also think I wish I played abroad somewhere when I was younger okay. at a different age to experience different life like my, my daughter yesterday I've not taught her I've I got a lot of Russian friends yeah. my daughter come and spoke Russian to me she can speak Spanish wow. she can't speak it fluently but she can say three four words yeah. she can speak Greek she can speak English the, the people that they're mixing with is multicultural is so fantastic for you yeah yeah a last question from me. Your golf handicap in Cyprus? Seven. <laughs> <laughs> Just like that. Just like that. Well, if you fancy a game, you let me know. <laughs> I think between the three of us, it would be a comedy show rather than a sports show of us playing golf. But, no, thank you so much for your Cheers, time. Man, and thank you for meeting us. We really appreciate it. And uh, good luck with recovery and for the rest of the season. Thank you very much. Okay, uh, hopefully you enjoyed that Um yeah, wonderful uh, to hear from Jason Punch and, of course, absolute legend for Palace. And at 36 years old, um, still still going strong, uh, which is fantastic to to hear. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll wrap this up relatively soon, um, if we may. Um, I, I did want to talk a little bit more about the kind of Vieira out stuff. Um, we have we've touched on it a little bit, so not for too long. Just a kind of couple of minutes each, if if possible, really. But uh, and and I will start with you, Mike. And, and look, um, I've talked about my reasons for for being a little frustrated with with Vieira's decision making at times. I I think there's a little inflexibility in in picking a side, and, and I wonder if there's at times a point being made about lack of options and and certainly lack of trust. But if I'm you know going to be honest, I'm somebody who criticised um, previous managers, particularly um, Roy Hodgson, for having his favourites uh, and for not appreciating the fact that to, to properly use a squad, you have to give squad game time. Otherwise, it's really hard for players who are on those fringes of the team to come in and, and play at the level that you need them at. Um, I have to criticise Patrick Vieira for that. But I have to ask, is is it really, really acceptable to be calling for the manager's head given the circumstances that we find ourselves in as a club, given the investment that we've made being relatively small over the last couple of seasons uh, and given the the huge overhaul that we've had to do in the last couple of years, is it really fair to be questioning Vieira and the job he's done? 
No, not for me. I mean, uh, it's slightly subjective in that he picks the team I pretty much would pick. And it's a pleasure to watch most of the time. But it's obvious that we're still missing some pieces. So some games are going to be incredibly frustrating. But to get to see, you know, for me, there's no question that Elise and Eze would be in the same team together. To watch those two with Zahar week in, week out is an absolute pleasure. So for me, I've got no issues whatsoever in WhatsApp. When, you know, there's a few murmurs about people worrying if we'd lost this game, what would happen. Um, I just pointed out, again, that would be nine points from five games. I know you said, obviously, we were going through an easier period, but it's Palace. So we'll probably end up getting more points against the big teams than we have against the lower <laughs> ones anyway. And we've still only lost to two sides below us. Um, I I love the way that the club's going and wouldn't want it to change. He's making things work on a shoestring. I, the, the the only issues for me, I'd like to see Abue involved more. If he is going out on loan, that's a bit of a shame for me. Um, but let's see against Southampton in the Cup. I want to see Riedeveld and I want to see Will Hughes starting. Um, they're the two casualties for me that I'd like to see more of. But otherwise, I really can't criticise much he's, do, he's doing. Same to you, Nick. Yeah, I think what you you, you think about the uh, his time at Nice when he did really well in the first season and then it, things started to go a little bit awry and that's why they released him. But but the thing I'd say is is what he said about needing more players and Paris saying, oh, we've got a decent squad. Um, and the whole, is he going to get backed to get these players in? I think that that's the biggest issue. He's definitely a big enough name to draw players into the club. Um, and he's definitely got a lot of respect from the players. And I think they enjoy the way he's playing. Um, if I was him, I'd have made the players watch that Fulham game over and over and over again. And I've got a feeling that he would have said, you know, virtually the same lineup, other other than the ones who were, who were uh, not allowed to play because they'd been red-carded. Um, it's actually, look, show us what you can do. And and they did. And you, you're as good as your last game, really, aren't you? And and we played really well. And I, I think we could have, you know, beaten a lot better teams than Bournemouth the way we played yesterday. Uh, there's no point in, in getting rid of him when we're 11th. If we were bottom three and struggling and losing two out of three games all the time, then yes, perhaps. But it's a project. Um like I said, the only thing that worries me is the situation with the people that own the club. Texter sort of diversifying here, there and everywhere. Is his, is his eyes going to be on Leon now because they're sort of Champions League? Um, and the other two that want to buy a bigger club. It's it's difficult, isn't it? So it's it's whether he gets the backing. But yeah, let's stick with Vieira. Um but I might have felt differently had we lost against a very poor Bournemouth team. But we didn't. So so we move onwards. And uh, the test is going to be against Spurs, who, whether it was Villa playing well today, being Sunday, or Tottenham being awful, not having a shot on target, I don't think Kane touched the ball in the first half. Whether we can do it against them, that's going to be the real test. Yeah, um, and I, I don't have too much to add. You know, look, I, I just think it, it's too... It just gets hysterical at times, you know, and I don't mean in the positive sense. It's just, you know, I think having a couple of bad results 
um, and, and performances, and then immediately jumping to Vieira's lost it. We need we need to make a change. It's, it's just not a sensible thing to do, and and I do wonder, you know, again, what those what the who you know whether those voices are the same on a consistent basis for any manager, or whether it's you know particularly Vieira they don't like. I'm not sure, but um, you know, I. You know, it's clear anyone listening to this podcast on a regular basis knows my feelings about some areas of the team selection. Um, but that that I, I have utmost confidence in Patrick Vieira and what he's doing. And frankly, I like the fact he's saying he needs more players because he does need more players. Um, and whether or not we think he has better options at the club than he tends to use in certain areas is kind of irrelevant because if he doesn't believe that they're, they're, they're good enough... If he doesn't believe that they're better than the one, the eleven that he picks, then he has every right not to pick them and say he wants different players. And and that's probably what I would, I would land on. I, I'd say the message coming out from him is is loud and clear. It was in the summer, definitely clear in in this January window. He wants better players. He wants the club to to move on. And Nick, you touched on a few areas of concern, and it'd be interesting to see what happens. You know, Steve Parrish has, has spoken and said. It's a difficult market in January, which is something that you that you repeated, Mike. Um, and it is a difficult market, um, and it's hard to do business. And we're looking at loans more than purchases and all that kind of stuff. But you know, it, if you don't if you don't freshen things up and you don't back your manager, you know, you certainly can't sack the manager at the end of it if you're not backing him. I don't know if Palace fans are any different to other team, but we're so bloody fickle anyway, aren't we? <laughs> Everybody everybody in football is really, you know, it's just the nature of the game, unfortunately. But, you know, I like every single one of you out there, I'm sure like me thinks, you know, likes to think that you're trying to rationalize everything and you're trying to think it through clearly. And that if you want the manager out, you're seeing something that other people aren't if, if they don't agree with you and all that kind of stuff. But you're right. You know, it's fickle. It's the nature of these things. Anyway, look, let's um, let's leave it there for now. We've we've gone on far far too long, frankly. And then we want to get on with our lives. So, um, thank you for for listening to the show, and thanks to everybody who got in touch. I don't think we quite managed to get to everything, and we only asked you very late. So, apologies for that. Um, but yeah, a little bit rusty getting back and get back into the the momentum and the swing of things um, very soon. But preview team um, will be back with you midweek, um, hopefully to look back at the Spurs game uh, and obviously look ahead at that FA Cup tie against Southampton in the coming weekend. Um, and obviously head over to YouTube for everything that DR, Patrick and the team are doing over there. Search for Back of the Nest on there and um, like, subscribe and all those things. Um, so until next time, thanks again and come on you Palace. And there it is, that's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! No, just fantastic. You can actually see the Pro Pilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. 
This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.